Now, if you do live in Tarrant County, and if you're new to Texas, I've got some bad news. You think we're in the middle of August, summer is almost over. No, I'm sorry, my friend. We've got six or eight more weeks of this, so just be prepared. But I've got some good news if, in this August. And that is, two things happen in August that I look forward to every year. One is school has starting again. Now, I know not everyone's excited, but let me tell you what I'm excited as your pastor. Because school's a tremendous mission field. Uh, so I just want to say to all of you at every campus, to our, our administrators, to our teachers, to our coaches, to our counselors, to our students, I hope you'll enter into your mission field with excitement and zeal, looking for opportunities to be led by the Spirit, to be a light. You are exactly where you need to be. And I hope it's your best school year ever. And one other thing that happens in August I'm excited about is football starting up again, okay? I'm excited about football. I love football. Now, I'm going to start with one of my favorite football stories. So look at this picture. Only the old timers will recognize these two guys. The referee is Tommy Bell, who was for a long time the best referee in the NFL. And the man beside him was a man named Fred Arbanis. Now, only the old timers remember that name. He was an all-pro tight end for the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, here's what unique about Fred. He only had one good eye. His other eye was uh, a glass eye, and Tommy Bell did not know that. So they're playing a game, and Fred gets hit hard, and his glass eye pops out onto the field. And poor Tommy Bell almost has a heart attack. Fred grabs it, spits on it, pops it back in, and goes to the huddle. So he learned later what was going on. So he asked Fred... Well, what would you do if your good eye ever came out? Without missing a beat, Fred Arbena said, I'd become a referee just like you. (laughs) I love that because it reminds us that clarity is so critical. And the pursuit of clarity must be intentional because we will inevitably drift toward blurry vision, even in the arena of faith. So if you're just joining us this month, here's what we've been doing in August. We've been looking at one of the great verses in the Bible in the pursuit of clarity. We have been focusing on what God says he focuses on. The verse we're looking at is Micah 6 and verse 8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. The prophet says God has been clear. God has been remarkably clear. This is what I'm looking for. Justice, mercy, humility. Repeat. Everybody say that with me now at every campus. Say it out loud so your neighbor will wake up, okay? Here we go. Justice, mercy, humility. Repeat. So last time we talked about justice. Now I would encourage you to hear that message if you missed it. And next time we'll talk about humility. But we are going to focus this weekend on why mercy is so good. He has shown you what is good. Love, 
mercy. Now here's the reality. Most people don't focus on mercy. Most focus on merit more than mercy. Mercy is rarely appreciated or initiated in the kingdoms of men. In fact, throughout history, mercy has been seen as a character flaw. And the reason is because the world operates by the principle, you should get what you deserve. And so, in almost every area of your life, you are rewarded For performance. You are judged on the basis of merit. Not mercy. Isn't this true? When you go to school. You are going to be graded. On the basis of merit. You need to earn good grades. If you try out for the team. You're not going to get playing time. Just because the coach has mercy on you. You've got to earn your playing time. If you go out for the band, you're going to be put in the particular chair depending on how well you play and perform. If you go to the marketplace next week, how are you going to be judged by your supervisor? Did you make enough sales? Did you hit your quota? Did your client's portfolio do well? We even use the language, did you outperform the competition? So this is the world we live in. This is the water we swim in. In the kingdoms of men, we value merit, not mercy. And you know what? The same thing is true in the religions of men. They put the emphasis on performance. Now, they have different ways to perform. One will give you a path, and one will give you some pillars, and one will give you some commandments. But the religions of men are all basically saying the same thing. Here is what you must do to prove that you love God. You see, Christianity is the only faith in the world that leads with. Here is what God has done to prove that he loves you. You see, we've read the gospel so many times, some of us have forgotten how radical and revolutionary Jesus was. Because Jesus came into a merit-based world and a merit-based Faith, and he constantly led with mercy. So, for example, we've been looking at this story we call the parable of the Good Samaritan. A man comes up to Jesus and says, what's God looking for? Well, love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. And wanted to justify himself, he said, well, now who is my neighbor? Now, understand the question. Who merits my attention as neighbor? And so Jesus told this radical story about a guy that gets mugged and left in a ditch by the road. And and a priest or very religious man walks right past him. And a Levite, another very religious man, walks right past him. And then this despised, ethnically different man stops and helps the guy in the ditch. 
And watch what Jesus does in Luke 10. Now, he said to the lawyer, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? And Jesus asked, and the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. And then Jesus said, now, you go and do the same. Jesus did not say, now go and affirm the same. Go and feel the same. Notice that Jesus said, mercy is a verb. Mercy is a choice. Mercy is an action. And mercy should be a joy. Do you know what it is for God? Let's go back to the book of Micah. In chapter 7, he had this wonderful verse where Micah just falls over him and praises the Lord with these words. Who is a God like you? Who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance. You do not say angry forever, but delight to show mercy. Now, go back to chapter 6. God says, this is what I'm looking for. I'm looking for you to act justly and love mercy and walk humbly with me. Now, please notice, I'm looking for you to love mercy. God wants to focus not just on being more merciful, but on celebrating opportunities to be merciful. Did you catch that? I want you to love mercy. Why? Why is mercy so good? Well, for one thing, it reflects God. You see, we base our actions on who we believe God to be. So this is very important. If you don't delight in an opportunity to show mercy to somebody, to give to somebody what they don't deserve, You don't have a mercy problem. You have a knowledge of God problem. See, God does what God does because God is who he is. He is a God who delights in showing mercy. Let's look at several scriptures together. Ephesians chapter 2. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you've been saved. Titus 3 says, when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. 1 Peter 1, 3 says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in his great mercy. He's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. God does what he does because he is who he is, a God full of mercy. I remember many years ago reading an evangelist now who was a little boy in a time in our nation's history called the Great Depression. And during that time, a lot of homeless people literally survived going up and down, hopping on railroad cars. And so in his little town, 
he was walking with his mom one day and they found a man like that. It looked like he hadn't had a bath in a long time or a decent meal. So his mother invited him home, let him clean up, cooked him a really nice meal. And while the man's at the table eating, this guy says, as a boy, I remember this. He looked up to my mom and he said, I wish there were more people in the world like you. And his mother replied, oh, there are. You just need to look for them. And this man replied, lady, I wasn't looking for you. You looked for me. There's no shadow he won't light up. No mountain he won't climb up. Coming after me. God came for us because he wanted to. He loves mercy. You ever done something that brought you so much joy you couldn't wait to do it again? You were playing golf on a beautiful course, skiing down a slope, taking a hike in the woods, playing with your grandkids, listening to wonderful music, and it brought you so much joy, you thought, I can't wait to do that again. You know what brings that feeling to God? Lamentation 3, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is His faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. That's God. Every morning, God says, I can't wait to pour out some more mercy. I love this. I love getting to do this. His mercies are new every morning. Why is mercy so good? Because it reflects God. And God has clearly shown he focuses on this. It's all over the Bible. Which is another reason why mercy is so good. Because it reveals the scriptures. Now we love the Bible at our church. If you're a guest, we tell people that one of the things we want you to do is connect with God by praying and reading your Bible every day. We believe this is important. But let's be honest. Do you know some people in your life who have read a lot of Bible and act like jerks? Do you know that's possible? It really is. Jesus knew a lot of people like that. That knew a lot of Bible but never reflected the heart of God. And whenever Jesus met a serious Bible student but a lousy neighbor... Jesus had a go-to verse. Do you know that? (laughs) Jesus had a verse he would go to whenever he met a bad neighbor. I'll give you some examples. So, Jesus meets this guy named Matthew. He's a tax collector. He was considered a scumbag, but Jesus wanted to be his friend. And and so, Matthew says, well, would you come to my house and meet some of my friends? So, Jesus did. And all the the, the religious people said, you shouldn't be hanging out with people like that. Here's what Jesus said. On hearing this, he said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. And here was his go-to verse. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I haven't come to call the righteous, but sinners. 
He was saying, did y'all miss that verse when you were in Bible school? Didn't you learn that one? Another time he's walking with his disciples on Sabbath day. Now, in Jewish culture, you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath day. Well, they're hungry, so they pluck a few uh, grains of wheat and pop it in their mouth. And someone says, oh, oh, you shouldn't do that, shouldn't do that. And they get real critical. (laughs) Here's what Jesus said. He said, if you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the innocent. Now, this is really, really important because I know I'm talking to a lot of people that love the Bible. Praise God. But listen, the primacy of mercy should be the lens through which we read the Bible so that we can discern the will of God. You know those two guys that walk by the fella in the ditch? Do you know that they read the Bible every day? They knew a lot of Bible and left the man in a ditch. It wasn't that they didn't know the Scriptures, but somehow they didn't know the focus of the Scriptures. Now, this happens all the time. It irritates me to no end whenever the news media finds some pastor somewhere who justifies horrible treatment of people and puts him on the air and says, this is what Christians are like. No, it isn't. But they love to do that. So let me be very, very clear. The next time you hear some pastor on TV justifying the demeaning and the belittling of any people group, just remember this. If you're using the Bible to justify treating people wrong, you're not reading the Bible right. Okay? I might be talking to somebody right now, online or at one of our three campuses, and the Lord is saying to you, go learn what this means. I desire mercy. You see, being in the Word should make you more merciful. And loving mercy will make you more biblical. And it'll also make you a whole lot more humble. And that's the final reason mercy is so good. Because it rebukes pride. So Jesus said, the very first thing you need to know about the kingdom is for the poor in spirit. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. See, the problem is I'm middle class in spirit. I'm not saying I'm rich in spirit. I'm not saying I'm totally full of myself. But I don't know if I'm poor in spirit. I'm I'm kind of middle class. And here's the irony. Religion often fuels my drift that way. Here's why. Because by trying to be a religious person, I'm not ashamed of that. I admit that. I, I am. I'm trying to follow the teachings of the Bible. And here's what happens. It helps me live a better life. And then I start to think. And that makes me better than other people. And Jesus knows that can happen. 
Another one of his great parables is in Luke 18. Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everybody else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people. Now, that's middle class in spirit. Cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh, God, be merciful to me. For I am a sinner. So, a lady's car had stalled at a busy intersection. She could not get it to start. She did not know how to get it to start. And behind her was a very angry man. He's just honking and honking and honking and honking his horn. So, she gets out of her car, walks back to that man and says, Maybe we could trade places. You could go up and try to start my car, and I could sit back here and honk your horn for you. Why do we do that? Why do we see people who need help and feel like we can judge so harshly? This is big, real big. When you love merit... You see people as problems. When you love mercy, you see people with problems. And the difference in those two things is as far as the east is from the west. So here's the thing. Mercy people focus on the story behind the need. Because I'll let you in on a little secret. Most people don't want to wind up in a ditch. Most people don't want to see their life become a shipwreck. There is a story behind the need. And mercy people look for it. They say love is blind. Let me tell you, pride is much more blind than love. Because pride can see everybody else's flaw and not its own. But mercy focuses on the truth. When I see that person in the ditch, there but for the grace of God, go I. And so, think about it. Why did that Samaritan stop and help that guy in the ditch two reasons one he saw the image of God in that man but two he saw his own likeness in that man he saw a man A man that the merit-based world would judge and ignore. And he saw himself a person in need of mercy. That's what you must do to see the 
gospel. Now I want to give you a powerful illustration of that. Some of you know that for some years now, we have a group of our members who go to our county jails. They're allowed to have uh, small Bible studies and worship services with prisoners who are allowed to attend. They get to worship for a short amount of time. They get to watch my sermons on DVD, have some teaching and question and answer time. And one of the men that came to our Bible studies was named James. I wonder if you can see yourself in his story. So please watch. In the fall of 2014, we had uh, five new uh, men come into our class, and they were all white. Uh, I later found out uh, in discussions with some of them that uh, they were members of the Aryan Brotherhood. And James was one of the leaders in the state of Texas. And he lived the the gang life, Uh, drugs, alcohol, kinds of extortion, uh, murder, everything that uh, a gang does, he was involved in. And that was his life uh, until he was arrested, until he was arrested uh, with his five other cohorts. Uh, and they were in our class. And so when he left, he, he had to go to the federal prison. And I kept in contact with him through the mail. He's been in solitary confinement for the last three and a half years. And through those letters, I saw Here's a man whose heart is being changed by God. His letters were uh, more about what his future looked like than what his past looked like. In fact, he mentioned uh, one uh, time that uh, he got on his knees in his cell and he just cried out to God. God, I surrender. I give up. I can't keep walking in both worlds. On his knees in his cell, he said God spoke to him and said, I will take care of you if you follow me. And that's the moment that he gave up that life of gang and living. And as he says, I joined a new gang. I joined God's gang. In late December, I get a call. Can you come to uh, the prison on Friday and uh, be, uh, be there for James's baptism? In walks six guards with James shackled in hands and shackled around his ankles. He is all smiles as he walks through the door. And so we baptized him right there. As he came up out of the water, all of the guards standing around (laughs) applauded. It was just a joyous moment. This is a letter from James. My life and circumstances are a living testimony to the power of God and what Jesus in all of his loving grace accomplished on Calvary. My life belongs to God and my mission now is to be that road sign that points to the cross. I know that living in this prison environment comes with all types of pressures, ridicules, temptations. But I, like Paul, was once that man who put that pressure and that torment on others. But God in His infinite grace and love has changed my heart and shown me mercy. Amen. 
So I'm so grateful to people like David Young and others who go every week and see people like James. In fact, David went on to tell me, here's James, the last three years of his life has been in solitary. 23 hours a day alone. One hour a day, he's out. And he takes his Bible and sits at a table and preaches to the other inmates. James has led three people to Christ from prison. A fourth, a black man who identifies as Muslim and in the Crips gang, has expressed a desire to be baptized. Through his letters, he's been able to lead his wife to Christ. He's led an old childhood friend to Christ. And every morning, God delights to shower James with mercy. And James sends it on to someone else. So here's the thing. I want us to be very, very clear about this. Love, mercy, I'll tell you what. People who need it love it. (laughs) If you know you need it, you love it. If you know you're lost without it, You don't lose your focus on it. But let's be honest. We're about to go back into the world we live. And it's so merit-based. And our focus on mercy can get fuzzy. We need some kind of an intentional strategy for maintaining Our focus on this merciful God who just delights in us. For me, one opportunity to do that every week is something called communion. So if you're a guest at one of our three campuses, we do this every week. In fact, if you're serving communion at our three campuses, take your place right now. So you're a guest, here's what we do every week. We, we pass this tray, and it's got a little piece of bread in it and a cup of juice. And it's real. Here's why. Because that bread represents that Jesus came as a real person, a real man. And that juice represents that he shed real blood on a cross for us. And if you believe in Jesus, we invite you to join us. And what we do every week when we take communion is we take a moment and we try to regain clarity. We we embrace and we revel in the mercy of God. We say here is what God did to prove that he loves us. But I do something else. I take a moment every week when I take communion, and I don't just focus on God's mercy to me. But I try to focus on where God's mercy to me should go next. I try to think, who do I need to serve that may never appreciate it? Who do I need to help that may never know about it? And this is really hard. Who do I need to forgive that does not deserve it? 
because I don't want to live focused on merit. I want to love mercy. So we're going to take a moment now. And we're just going to focus on the mercy of God. Because somehow, if we do, we will see everything else so much more clearly. So bow your heads, please. Every campus. Oh, God. Who is a God like you? A God who loves to show mercy. A God who pursues. A God who doesn't wait for us to ask to be saved before he sends a Savior. A God who every single day refreshes the world with more mercy. Oh God, these next few moments help us focus, help us realign, help us revel in mercy. For Jesus' sake, amen.